So this morning, we are continuing our series, Ever Wonder Why? And uh, let me start here. I'm sure a lot of us have heard of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Anyone heard of that? All right. How many of you have read the entire book? Okay, we have a few. All right. Uh, I have not. (laughs) So this summary is brought to you by SparkNotes. And uh, all of us understand the basic concept. We know kind of the story of Henry Jekyll. He is a doctor, well-known, respected in his community for just being a good person. But he knows in his own life there's a lot of things that he doesn't love, he's not proud of. And so he attempts an experiment to separate kind of his his good side and his evil side. It turns out to be successful. And he is able to fully turn into his darker side, and that's Mr. Hyde. And so in the book, they're seen as two separate people, but Mr. Hyde is, is again, a cruel, kind of violent person. He is um, even seen as like ugly and deformed and not, like, almost f- not fully human. And he's even suspected of murder throughout the book. And again, uh, that, that is the side of Dr. Jekyll that's free of morals, that's free of conscience, and he's able to turn into him just with a potion, just like that. And again, the book, they're seen as two different people, And everyone around them is trying to figure out, okay, what's the connection here? But the reality is that they're the same person. And at the end, we find out that Dr. Jekyll, he admits to, um, you know what? I enjoyed, like, becoming that side. It, it, It really wasn't hurting anyone else, and it was kind of freeing. And that was until he kind of began to lose control of even turning into him when he didn't want to. The desire grew. And he wasn't able to hold it back. And as he's trying harder and harder to keep this secret, he ends up losing his life and even the lives of those around him. And so you might wonder, man, why do I start with such a cheerful story to start us off with this message? Just like the person in this book, Dr. Jekyll, I wonder how many of us in this room or even watching online have things that we are hiding have things that we're ashamed of, that we're not proud of. Maybe it's things, maybe it's a sin that has taken us further than we ever planned on going. Maybe it's something that started off as, okay, I know it's not good, I shouldn't be doing this, but it's kind of controllable, it's just every now and then. And then it turns to that sin controlling us. It's something that you don't want in your life, but maybe it's caused you to ask the question, why can't I stop? which is what we're talking about this morning. And if you have asked that question, I'm sure all of us have at some point to some degree, but it's probably for different reasons. Maybe for some of you, okay, it's why can't I stop overeating? Or why can't I stop just spending hours on social media and just scrolling through mindlessly? Like why can't I stop being angry all the time with my kids, with my coworkers? Why can't I stop lying and just not telling the truth because I know it's not good? Why can't I stop doing this thing in my life? And you have sin that no matter how hard you've tried, you just can't seem to get over it. That maybe you've even asked God, you've made a promise, you've made a New Year's resolution, and it still remains. And it's still a problem that you want to stop, but the change doesn't come. And so what I want to do this morning for a few minutes is look at that struggle that we have, all of us as Christians, if we have trusted in Jesus for our salvation, all of us have that struggle. That we desire to do what's right, what's good, 
but then it doesn't always carry over into our actions. So Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. And if you have your Bibles or you can even grab one in the chair rack in front of you. And what I want us to keep in mind as we read this passage, that the Apostle Paul wrote this uh, book of Romans, and this is not a new believer. Like you may read this passage and go, wow, this guy is struggling. Like is he a new, like he just seems to be um, going through some heavy stuff that maybe a mature Christian wouldn't go through, but that's not true. He's been saved for almost 25 years at this point. And he is writing this about himself. Chapter 7 of Romans, verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And before the verse that we read, Paul is looking at God, his standard, his law that he expects us to keep. And Paul's conclusion is, nothing good dwells in me. And he's not saying that he can never do anything right, like he's completely incapable. But he's saying that I fall short. I'm not perfect. And so you can kind of see uh, in his writing the game of pinball in his mind just going back and forth. He's like, I want to do what's right, but then I don't always do it. And the very thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing that anyway. And he, again, he's talking about this struggle. And he's saying, okay, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, then it must be the sin that dwells in me. And it kind of sounds like Paul's trying to shift the blame a little bit. Like he's ducking responsibility, like oh, it wasn't me, it's the sin, I can't help it. But he's not, uh, again, he's not saying that he's not responsible, because if that were the case, then he wouldn't have to deal with the struggle at all. He's telling about the reality of our human condition. That although Paul has trusted in Jesus, he has been saved, he's given hope of eternal life, he's been given the Holy Spirit to lead him, he still has the propensity to sin. That he, again, he's been forgiven, and, and, but he's realizing that all of us are born into this world with a sinful nature. We are all inclined to go against God and sin. And I'm sure, again, it doesn't take that long to figure out, even when you're young as a kid. Okay, if we have parents in the room, you can probably figure out that your kid's a sinner on their own, Right? You're going to teach them a lot of things, how to tie their shoes, maybe how to, you know, uh, you're going to help them learn the alphabet, how to swing a baseball bat, all this stuff that you want to guide and instruct. You won't have to tell them how to be a sinner. They'll figure that one on their own, and they'll be an expert at it before you even realize. But that's true for all of us. So for Paul or even us as Christians, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, and we don't desire to follow it, but we're, but we're still tempted by it. And so we have righteousness in Jesus, but we're sinners by ourselves. And so the bottom kind of underlying truth that Paul wants us to understand as we move forward is that sin, again, if we are a believer, sin no longer reigns, but it still remains. That God has saved us and, and, and sin no longer reigns over us. We don't have to pay the penalty for it, but it still remains a factor in our life that we're lured by it, that we're tempted by it, and we're inclined to follow it. And so he keeps reading, or sorry, keeps writing as we keep reading. Verse 21, he says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, 
the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, and his inner man just being his saved self, wanting to honor God. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And he says more on this idea that, man, this, this sin, it's not just like an every now and then occurrence. He's saying it's a fact, it's a principle, that the lingering sin in our lives can infiltrate and impact everything we do. That every good decision, every good thought, every good motive, every good word, like can be affected by our sinfulness. And he's saying, I joyfully want to obey God but sin doesn't seem to let up. In verse 24, he kind of cries out in frustration, what a wretched man I am. Because he understands how sinful he is when you realize, or when he realizes how holy God is. And so he cries out, man, what a wretched man, who will save me from this body of death? This, this phrase, uh, set me free or set free, it means to remove or to rescue from danger. And it has the idea of uh, a soldier on a battlefield helping his comrade out, like taking him, a wounded person, and removing him from danger, taking him to safety. That's what it kind of means. And so Paul has this in mind. He's saying, man, when will, when will I be rescued from this body of death, from my sinfulness that I struggle with all the time? And notice what he wants to be saved from. He says, who will save me from the body of this death? referring to his sinfulness, and it seems pretty vivid. Uh, we're not, uh, again, he doesn't say it in here, but it's possible Paul might have had a specific um, image in his mind when he writes this, that near his hometown, there was a tribe that uh, supposedly dealt with their uh, convicted murderers in a unique and uh, horrific way. What they would do is, if someone was convicted and they were sentenced to death, they would take the murder victim take their corpse and tie it, attach it to the murderer. And so arm in arm, kind of leg leg, face to face, just tie them and join them together for days until the murderer would die. And so the decay of the person would, uh, again, get to the murder, uh, the person that murdered them and infected them and killed them. You know, it's likely for, for disease and then you have flies around, they start laying eggs and just the odor alone would be awful, okay? And, and I, again, hopefully you guys haven't, been around that too much, but um, I, for the past few years, I've uh, worked a little bit with the funeral home in Fremont, and I've been one of the people that have removed um, someone has passed in their home or in a facility, and so I've gone and removed the body to the funeral home to, you know, get it ready to be embalmed or cremated, whatever the next step is. Um, and so I've been able to see and smell what happens to us like immediately after we die, hours, days, even a week afterwards, if nothing is done. And so if this is what Paul has in mind, like, let me tell you, this is no joke. <laughs> this would be one of the worst ways that I can imagine going, if we're being honest. But Paul might have had this in his mind as he's writing this torture. He's saying, who will free me from this body of death? Just like you would want to get them off, get them away, separate yourself. That's Paul's desire here. He's like, I want to be free. I want to be removed. It's a graphic image, but he's saying this sin in me, 
my sinful nature. It's not just uh, annoying or it's not just inconvenient. He said my sinful side is waging war against what I do, against what I want to do. It's not just present. It's not just noticeable. It's actively opposing everything I do. He says I'm at war with myself. And I think about it this way. I actually asked uh, Jeremy Framstead, our technical director, to help me out a little bit. Um, I noticed that Paul is at war with himself. So I wanted to get someone that looks like me. Nice shirt, by the way. Um, <laughs> Jeremy and I actually often, <laughs> we get mistaken for each other all the time, that after I've given like a sermon on a Sunday morning, some of you guys have gone up to him and said, oh, great job, Michael, great sermon. And he just rolls with it like, oh, thank you, appreciate it. But uh, so for right now, as great as Jeremy is, we see this uh, picture being painted. Paul says we are at war. The side of us that wants to honor God and then our flesh. And so it's the godly side versus, sorry, Jeremy, the sinful side. But, it's, but, but we're at war and it can feel like all of us probably know the feeling like tug of war, right? Some of you guys in here are having some fight club flashbacks, but uh, all of us, have probably, most of us have played this at school, field day, gym class, whatever it is. We know how it goes, right? You get ready, you get your team, get in order. You got the person in the back, they're the anchor, they tie it around so you're not going nowhere. And uh, you get your grip, get your stance, and then you go. And usually, unless it's really mismatched, usually, no matter how hard you try, there's not like an immediate defeat or victory, right? Like it's usually a game of inches, it's slowly but surely but there's a battle going on. And so you can try and try and try, but there's a little reward. That's kind of how it feels like when you're playing tug of war. It's the same way with our lives. That maybe there's something that you're trying to get rid of. You're trying to stop the sin and you're trying and trying and trying, but no matter how hard you try, your sinful side is still battling. And so you may be asking, okay, why can't I stop drinking? Like I want to stop and this is okay. I mean, it's okay. Um, And so I want to stop. It's not beneficial for me or my family, but you know what? It's an easy way to wind down and I don't want to be the only one out to eat, not having a drink. So, you know, it's okay. Or why can't I stop spending hours on my phone? Like I'm trying, I know all that stuff's garbage anyway, uh, but when I'm not on social media, I kind of miss the connections and I don't want to miss out and I enjoy that time. So uh, why can't I stop overspending? Like I'm trying to be wise, I'm out of breath with my money and, uh, and I know I should honor God with that, but hear me out, it was an Amazon's choice and my two favorite words popped up on, popped up on the screen, on sale. And then, so I just kind of bought four. Or maybe, man, why can't I stop procrastinating? I know I should honor God and not be lazy, but I have this deadline, this job, but Harry Potter weekend is on TV and they only show it once every two weeks. So I got to make sure to really watch that and not miss that opportunity. I'll do it tomorrow. And it seems like we lose this battle more often than we win. And then we're left wondering like, wow, sin's winning. Why can't I stop? We feel discouraged even though we're trying, we're giving all our effort and it feels like we're getting nowhere. And so for us, there may be a lot of different factors that like are contributing to why you're not necessarily winning that battle. And again, things that I don't wanna dismiss there's practical, there's physical, emotional, relational uh, 
things that maybe is in your life that is aiding this struggle. Things like, man, you have emotional baggage, you have trauma in your past, you have a chemical imbalance. Like I'm not dismissing any of that, but we're just not getting there this morning. But I think for most of us, the root cause of what's, what this battle is and why we're losing is we're trying to meet a spiritual need apart from God. That we're trying to fill a spiritual need and we run or we cope with something that isn't God himself. And by the way, this isn't, um, this isn't something that I haven't asked myself already. And so I'll be a little transparent with you guys. I'll tell you what that thing was for me. Uh, I remember in, in, in late elementary school, early middle school, was uh, the first time that I saw pornography. That I was at a friend's house and the Playboy stash had been discovered. And so naturally it was a topic of conversation. And so I remember looking back, what that day started in me was a curiosity that led to consistency. And so unfortunately, what followed was more the same. That years went by struggling with this, losing the sin battle, but at the same time being too ashamed to tell anyone. Feelings of anger, of guilt, of fear, hoping that no one finds out, and all the while feeling more and more isolated from other people because you know what, I, I just can't let them into this. And I'm trying and I'm, I'm promising God, like, okay, I'm not gonna watch those things anymore, I'm not gonna do this, God, this is it, I'm done, I'm finished. But then I'd usually end up right back in the same spot, committing the sin that I feel most guilty about. Because for most of that time, I was a believer and I desired to do what's right, I wanted to stop, but I was just stuck in this battle that I felt like I was losing. And again, looking back on it, it seemed that one magazine, one moment, led to truthfully almost a decade of being addicted and asking, why can't I stop? And for me, it's not my favorite thing to talk about, but I share it for a couple of reasons. And one, I share because that's what we're supposed to do that we are called to boast about what God can do in our lives. Second Corinthians 12, Paul writes about a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was exactly, but we know that it was problematic for him. And he says, in the midst of that, I know that God's grace is sufficient. That when I am weak, I am strong. When I realize I can't do it, but God can, that's when I am strong. And he says, I will gladly boast about my weakness if it means making Jesus uh, elevated. In Mark chapter five, uh, Jesus actually heals a demon-possessed man. And he heals him and he gives the instructions to this guy. And he says, okay, go home, tell your people, report to them the great things that God has done and how he has shown mercy on you. And that's all I'm doing. You're not gonna find another <laughs> more broken, sinful person than I am. I'm the farthest thing uh, from perfect, and I need Jesus just as much as anybody else on the planet. But I'm here to tell you that God is good, that he is faithful, and that God doesn't just save us, but he sustains us. And I also share my story so that you know you're not the only one. 
Because what, and not even in this area of purity specifically, but any struggle that you're facing, what the enemy loves to do is get you to believe the lie that you're all on your own. That no other Christian is failing like you are. No other Christian is struggling in this area. And you can't tell anybody. Those are all lies. And I feel like somebody in this room needs to hear that you are not the only one that has gone through a battle or is going through a battle. Because I've been there too. Until I started taking this fight seriously. And so I... I think one of the biggest reasons that we often don't have victory over our sin and we're stuck and we ask, why can't I stop? And we continue to give in. I think one of the biggest reasons is that we don't view it like a war. Like Paul is saying, we have a spiritual war going on, but we treat it like it's not. We kind of go through life with this peacetime mentality and then we're surprised when sin begins to win. And then we feel discouraged. God tells us, hey, yeah, there is hope. Like this struggle isn't going to last forever. When you are in eternity with Jesus, we'll be free from the penalty and power and presence of sin. But until then, the Bible says you need to be alert. You need to be on guard. And so I don't want us leaving here today without just a little bit of uh, practical steps to take. Like if that's you, if you feel, man, I'm just stuck in sin. I can't stop. I want to give us a few steps to take on how to be alert. And I did not come up with this, another pastor, another author did, but uh, I love how he says, uh, just uses a simple acronym, that when sin is killing us, how do we breathe life back into our faith? We do CPR. And C, first step to take is confess. We confess to God and we confess to others. That what we need to do initially is uh, identify what are we losing to? Like identify, man, what is uh, having victory in our life that isn't God? Identify it and take it to him. And acknowledge that, okay, God, I've been failing. I have fallen short. I've broken your commands. But God tells us that he's not angry at us. He loves us and he is faithful to forgive every time. And so not only do we confess to God our sin and what we've done wrong, but we also invite other people, other Christians, into our struggle. And this is scary. I'll be completely honest. Some of you might be thinking, you want me to tell others of what I'm going through now? Like, okay, no. How about I do this? How about I kind of fix myself up first? Like, I'll try even harder this time. I'll, you know, get through this. And then after I'm done with this, uh, you know, addiction or thing that I'm going through, I think I'll be better in a few months. Then I'll tell people what I've gone through so that I don't have to tell people what I'm going through. And as, as much of a temptation as that might, is, that might be, to not obey God and not to confess to others, it just doesn't seem wise. We will never reach our full potential alone. That God has given us tools and other people around us to help, to encourage, to support, and their job is not to give you a five-point sermon on here's what you're doing is wrong. Their job is to be there for you to encourage you to come alongside. And I also think that when we're afraid to obey and confess, then we're just showing that we're giving way too much authority, way too much power to that sin. Like how do we expect to beat something if we can't even talk about it? I'll tell you for me personally, some of the scariest 
yet most rewarding moments in my faith have been walking into a room, walking to a conversation, walking to another Christian guy or group of guys and truthfully telling them this is where I'm at. Like I'm losing this battle to lust. I'm losing this battle to pride. I've been lazy this week. I've just been angry. I'm, I, guys, help me. And then I have some of you, people in this church that I've gone to for years and say, hey, I, I want you to be a part of this solution. Help me out. Uh, you know, come alongside me. And I even have a group of guys now that I uh, regularly tell, hey, here's how my week has gone. Here's what's going on. And they know the ugliest parts of my life. But they respond with grace and truth. James 5.16 tells us, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Paul says, if you want to be healed, get help. If you want healing, get help. You cannot do it alone. And he's not saying tell the entire world. He's not saying, yeah, post all of your problems on Facebook, tell your whole family, tell all your friends. But maybe it starts with just telling your husband or wife and having them help you. Maybe it's going to the godliest friends you have and saying, be there for me. I can't do this by myself. And what they're going to do for you is what that verse just said. It says you confess and then you pray. P stands for pray. That you have others pray for you and also you pray to God yourself. That again, the job of the believer in the life of other believers is not to just teach and tell you what you're doing wrong and have all the answers. God says you confess your sins and they pray for you. And that's kind of the, uh, the solution to find healing. You need other people. Tell them what you need prayer for. Have them do it. And not only them, but we need to talk to God ourselves. Daily, consistently, asking God. Say, God, I need strength. <laughs> like, I, I need self-control. I'm, I'm tired of this. I don't want uh, to lose this battle anymore. And begging the God who gave you life to restore your joy and to change your desires. We confess to God and others, we pray, and we also remove access, ours, remove access. We begin to make boundaries from that sin. This is where kind of the, uh, the rubber meets the road. This is when you really find out if someone is serious about distancing themselves from sin, if they want to flee, if they want to fight. This is usually a step that we need to take, that you want to make it tougher on yourself to sin. And so this is very Practical things that if you're struggling with pornography, some of you need to not have a smartphone and get a dumb phone. <laughs> like the world will go on without email, without uh, having access to the internet all the time. Some of you need to get rid of Netflix and end that subscription. Because the movies and TV shows just don't help anything in your faith to grow. Maybe some of you are just uh, not winning this battle with anxiety, with depression. And so it comes to finding out, okay, what kind of fuels me to feel that way? What kind of triggers me to, to have those emotions and think that way? And it can be simple steps that will help. Like, man, maybe I just need to get off social media because all that stuff is not uh, just backing up what the Bible says. It's not encouraging. It's not beneficial. It's not wholesome for me. And maybe even other people in our lives that are just nothing but negative 
and they gossip and they just bring you down because that's what's being spoken in and, and that's what you hear all the time. Or maybe it's you being committed to say, okay, I'm going to call someone from the moment I leave work to the moment I get home. I'm going to call my spouse, my friend, my brother, my sister, and they're going to make sure that I don't go in that gas station. I don't buy another lottery ticket. I don't go to that bar. Like whatever you need to do to take serious action because sin is serious. Paul says we are at war, that we need to do whatever it takes to be active in this battle. We confess, we pray, we remove access. And I'm going to add another R um, on the end of this. Like we also need to remind ourselves of truth. I don't know if you guys caught it, but we were towards the end of chapter 7. Romans 7, we were at the end, but we didn't finish. There was one verse left. And I know so far it's been kind of a dreary, like, man, we're just stuck in this battle. I can't always win. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm losing more than I'm winning. Uh, but Paul, he doesn't get discouraged by this. He doesn't question his salvation. He's brought back to the truth of the gospel. And he says, who will set me free from this body of death? Romans 7.25 says this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. He asks a question that he already knows the answer to. He says, who will set me free from this body of death, my sinfulness? God will. Through his son, Jesus. And if you go on to read chapter 8, which I would encourage you to read that today, we find more amazing truth about the gospel and what that means for Christians. That if we have trusted in Jesus, there is no longer any condemnation for our sin. We don't have to pay that penalty forever. Jesus took that for us. That he did something that we could not do on our own. That we are not obligated to live according to the flesh. That we don't always have to lose this battle because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus out of the tomb lives in you. And that's so important to remember. Because the only true way that we are going to change is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. That's going to be the number one reason for change. That he has given us hope of knowing that this will not last forever that death will be removed and the power of sin uh, will be broken and we'll be with our creator, our savior for eternity. But we still need his grace every single day because this battle against our sinfulness, against sin, it's not won by you trying harder. It's won by you relying more on God's strength and God's power to get you through. And I think about it this way, like when you begin a relationship with Jesus, you get there. We are forgiven, not based on what we do. The solution is, well, I'm a sinner, but you know what? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to do more works. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to go to church and pray. It's not how we are saved. We are saved when we humbly come to God and say, I have nothing. God, I, can't, I got nothing to offer here. I fall short. I need you. Only you can do, only you can save me through Jesus' death 
and resurrection. And so if that's the mindset, if that's the battle plan for our eternity, for our salvation, why should our daily lives be any different? Because it shouldn't. We want to let God work and change our heart on the inside so that the result is outward obedience. Because our goal is not to just change our behavior, to stop doing bad and start doing good. Our goal is to love Jesus more than anything else. Our goal is to love Jesus more than we love our sin. And we do that when we constantly remind ourselves of the truth of God and letting him and his word inform how we fight this battle. And so if you need to, don't leave here today without taking a step. Some of you need to say that prayer. Some of you need to send that text, make that call. Some of you need to find better uh, people and community around you and start taking this fight a little more seriously. Some of you maybe need to, uh, again, uh, maybe go on Wednesday nights to our life support group, our recovery group. Whatever step you need to take, don't leave here without doing that. Make it a priority that today you can be honest. Today can be the day where you don't have to uh, pretend anymore. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be fearful. Like, are they going to find out? No, we can be secure in our, in our past and our future because we are secure in the grace of God because we don't deserve anything apart from what he's given us. And when we do that, we can begin to take this fight seriously. And so we ask the question, why can't I stop? It's not done by you trying harder. It's by trusting God more and relying on his strength and his power as the spirit works in us. Let's pray as we wrap up this morning. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, you have saved us. You've given us what we need. And I thank you for your son, most of all, who made a way for us to find forgiveness and eternal life, even though we do not deserve it, God. I pray that every single person in this room would acknowledge that they fall short and they need a savior. And when we do that, God, we would begin to honestly evaluate ourselves, identify what we're losing to, and start fighting our sin better with you in the lead. And God, we realize, even as we're about to sing, that you are bigger, you are better, you are stronger, you are greater. Nothing is impossible for you. I pray that you would show us that in our lives. That we would be committed to following you. And again, letting the Spirit work in our hearts so that the result is more Jesus, more truth, and less sin and more obedience. God, we love you, praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.